Welcome to The Picklist, the podcast for curious food industry minds. I'm Julia Glotz, a writer, editor, and consultant specializing in food and drink. Every week, I'm joined by an expert guest to discuss the news, trends, and developments shaping food and grocery retail right now. You'll get a personal perspective on how business leaders and leading thinkers from different parts of our industry are making sense of the big issues. My guests will also share what's on their personal reading list, bringing you a curated selection of thought-provoking articles from the trade press, national media, and other titles. You can find links to all the articles and suggestions for further reading in the episode show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. Now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of The Picklist. I hope you're having a good week. My guest this week is Vishal Patel, co-founder of Salasa, a new spirit designed specifically to go with Indian food. Vishal also has an interesting day job as investment director at Distill Ventures. And so we talk about the growth in low and no alcohol options, his journey with Salasa, why he founded the brand, and why he's pursuing a food-first strategy with it, how to justify the price of lower alcohol options vis-a-vis full-strength drinks, and the ongoing important challenge of how to increase diversity and inclusion in the drinks industry. Enjoy the show. Bisha, welcome to The Pick List. Thank you for being my guest. Thanks a lot for having me, Julia. We are recording this on Wednesday, the 27th of July, 2022. What are you up to this week? What's keeping you busy? What's keeping me busy? Well, it was my daughter's first day at nursery uh, this morning. Uh, wow. So getting her ready for that was uh, <laughs> quite a feat and, uh, you know, another sort of milestone in her, <laughs> in her, uh, in, in her baby years. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, that was important. Thankfully, it went well. Uh, so uh, that's, that's, that's a tick. Um, what's keeping me re- busy for the rest of the week? Um, Finalising um, various bits that we're doing over the over the summer uh for for salasa um at various events um and just finalizing who's going to be where at what time and you know what is our stand going to look like that's been that's been keeping me busy this week is this the first summer where you've really gone big on doing kind of summer campaigns or have you have you done that before no, this is our first year. Um, we we launched last July, and last July we were just running around just trying to sell a few bottles. Uh, this year, uh, we're, we're we're really pleased to announce that we're going to be at Pub in the Park in Chiswick and St Albans um, in in September, and we've got a couple of other really exciting uh, things uh, happening um, over the summer. Various activations uh, that we will be announcing shortly. Fantastic. Now, you've already mentioned your brand, Celessa, and you're here in your role as co-founder of Celessa, which is a spirit designed specifically to go with Indian cuisine. We're going to talk a lot about your journey with Celessa and the opportunity you see in the market for a more innovative and a more diverse range of drinks. But we should also say that you wear another hat as well. You are also investment director at Distill Ventures, which is the VC arm of Diageo. And many of my listeners will know that um, Distill Ventures runs a very well-known accelerator program for up-and-coming drinks brands. So you have a really interesting, broad perspective on trends in the drink space. 
and I'm intrigued to understand how you ended up working in drinks in the first place. Can you talk a bit about your career, where you got started, what kind of roles you got into, and how you then ultimately ended up at Distill Ventures? Sure, it's been quite a journey. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't start in drinks. I haven't been in drinks my whole life. I actually started life as a uh, corporate lawyer. So much less uh, sort of glamorous, fun, fulfilling than my current role. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, taught, taught me a lot. Um, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed studying law at university. I then went to practice law um, in, in, in London after university. And it really sort of helped me to learn the skills and which I use every day now actually in terms of negotiation and sort of writing persuasively um, and, 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 and so my legal career was definitely something that was very sort of fundamental and, and, and helpful to, to my career but I realised pretty much sort of within a couple of years that you know this is great but there's got to be more to life uh, than than law um, personally speaking and therefore I felt like I needed to pursue my sort of true sort of passions in life and, and one of those is um, investing and advising startup brands you know I, I love speaking to founders and really understanding what sort of makes them tick and you know what their ambitions are for their businesses and to help them really where I can um, give, give advice to help them to help them scale uh, their their businesses, and so I switched from a legal career over to the investment side of things. Uh, starting starting off at a, a fintech uh, focused fund, it was a great sort of way to get into the venture capital world. Um, I wouldn't say that I am an expert by any means uh, on fintech, uh, but it certainly helped me sort of make a transition across and then the sort of dream job came along um, at Distal Ventures, you know, advising and investing in startup um, drinks brands. Uh, and that was something that I just couldn't, I couldn't uh, turn down. I had previous experience as a, as a corporate lawyer working at SAB Miller, um, uh, the, uh, the beer company that was taken over by AB InBev. Uh, and so I've always had a long-standing passion for drinks. And so this is the role at Distal Ventures was a great way to, to marry, um, you know, passion for investing and advising startups uh, with my love for all things drinks. Now, I know many of my listeners will fall into that challenger brand or up and coming brand category as well. And people are always really interested in picking up on tip and tips and tricks around pitching to potential investors. Is there anything, whether it's from your experience at Distill Ventures or your experience in fintech, there any sort of do's and don'ts you can share? I think my number one rule is be authentic. Don't second guess or overthink, you know, what investors want to hear because I can guarantee you, you're not going to know. And it's actually not, you know, it's not even important that you do know. I think ultimately if you're really passionate about the business that you're setting up, you know, whatever sector that that, that is in, you know, that passion and commitment that you're showing to your business needs to come across uh, to, to an investor. It's going to come across in your in your way as well. And, you know, I think, you know, if someone doesn't like your business or doesn't like you or doesn't want to invest, then, you know, fine. I, I see that as a, you know, that is not the right investor for you. Uh, but if you truly believe in, 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 in what you're doing, um, you know, stay true to yourself. Try not to, to, to second guess, as I said, what, what other people think and, you know, just be really honest and, and open with your plans and ambitions and, you know, the, the right investor will, will, will come along and, and, and hopefully see, see, see that potential. 
And working with all these innovative new drinks brands at Distill Ventures clearly gave you a thirst for innovation and for launching your own brand as well, because as you mentioned, you launched Salasa last year. Was that a lockdown project? Was, did, did the pandemic act as a catalyst for that ambition? Tell me a bit about how you decided now was the time to launch this particular drinks brand. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, working with the fantastic founders uh, on the Distal Ventures program was you know, a real inspiration to me in, in sort of driving and pushing me to have a go at setting up my own um, spirits brand. And I think Lockdown was, you know, it was, it was terrible in, in in many ways, but in other ways, there there, there were some opportunities that came that came out of it, um, you know, for, for me personally. And, and you know, one of those was I had a had a little bit of extra time on my hands. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a baby then, uh, and so I, I I was definitely definitely uh, you know uh, uh, more free. Um, and so you know, with the extra time I had on my hands during lockdown, I just thought, you know. Instead of just watching, you know, endless reruns of whatever it was I was watching on Netflix that week, <laughs> uh, you know, why don't I, why don't I go about trying to have a go at sort of setting up my own thing? So, you know, first, first thing to do is try and convince my boss that, you know, although, you know, I've got my digital ventures hat on, and you know, my job is to find the next big spirits brand. Um, uh, you know, I, I felt that, you know, it's such a huge space. There are white spaces. You just need to go out there and look for them, and that, you know, I think I. I had an idea uh, from which Salasa was born, which which is a white space uh, in the in, in the in the industry at the moment, and it was something that was you know, an itch that I needed to scratch uh, in terms of you know having a go at you know, running my own uh, running my own company, running my own startup, trying to grow and scale my brand, and I think that leads back to what I was saying earlier about sort of being authentic. You know, in my role as advisor at Digital Ventures, I felt that I hadn't had that experience of running my own. Um, spirits brand, which you know, at the end of the day, it's not all about sort of numbers and spreadsheets. I think you know, the, the, there's the, the human element to, to selling drinks, and there's the human element to to growing a uh, growing your own business. And I felt that I needed to experience that myself to ultimately also help me uh, to be better at my uh, at my job at Digital Ventures as well. And you founded the brand with your brother, is that right? Uh, it's my brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law, and so how big is the team now? Who is involved in the brand? So it's still mainly the two of us. Uh, we've got some fantastic uh, consultants that help us with various different areas. Um, our, our brand manager, she's she's fantastic. You know, before I set up Salasa, I didn't really know what Instagram was. Uh, I have to be honest. <laughs> and my brand manager was like, "You've got to get on Instagram. You've got to have your own profile. You've got to be doing reels." Wouldn't say I'm very comfortable doing them, but you know I I I, I do them. And I, I've actually, has she managed to get you, know, you onto TikTok yet? <laughs> no, that's that's one thing I, I'm certainly not 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 putting my hand up to do. But yeah, you know, I imagine it's a, a matter of time. And actually, you know, I, I, you know, before launching Slas, I'd never been on a a podcast, uh, and, and now I've been on uh, a couple. And you know, I, I really enjoy. Uh, I didn't know if I would but I really enjoy you know talking about um my journey to to, to get to where we are today and and, and talking about the brand it's uh so it's, it's a really it's a really great opportunity um to start you know crystallizing your thoughts about you know what you want to do and how you want to do it and ultimately trying to articulate that to, to other people because you know I am so passionate about about what I'm doing you know sometimes you 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 forget that people aren't inside your head and they need to understand, uh, you know, and understand what you're trying to do. And, you know, on the face of what we're trying to do, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge change in consumer habits with Salasa. We're trying to get consumers to switch from 
drinking beer and wine with food to spirits uh, and that's that's a massive that's a massive aim um of ours and that's something that i've been trying to you know perfect the sort of elevator elevator pitch to to um you know in, in my head to then sort of help communicate that to everyone um, about the ambition of our project and where are you now with your brand where is it available and are you primarily focused on growing retail distribution at this stage or are you primarily interested in working with the on trade talk to me a little bit about the distribution strategy for the brand yeah sure so unsurprisingly um the the, the focus has been on indian restaurants uh, to 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 begin with i feel that yeah, the best way to try and convince people to switch from beer and wine to, to, to spirits with food is by allowing them to enjoy salasa in the perfect occasion. So, you know, when you go to an Indian restaurant, you've got some delicious food there. You know, you're, you're, you're purposely going to, to have a good evening. And therefore, if, you know, if we can if we can have that first moment of consumption to be you know, in that perfect setting, that could then potentially give the confidence um, to consumers, but you know, I, I quite like that when I went to that Indian restaurant and tried, you know, I might, I might try it at home, you know, when I'm on a more casual, you know, Tuesday evening or on a, on a Friday night, um, you know, with, with my favorite Indian takeaway. So the strategy in year one and certainly now in, in year two, it's just more just doubling down is on on-trade distribution and sort of getting our product um, out to as many Indian restaurants and also bars as possible. I think, you know, we, we, we've had a really good response for bartenders on the quality of our liquid at 20 percent um alcohol you know it acts as a as a, as a great uh you know um spirit alternative or, or, or modifier to a um to a cocktail and so it, it's about getting as much on trade distribution as possible we've had some great listings so far uh we're in some uh top uh Michelin indian restaurants Giancana and trishna we were in um uh, asma khan's uh darjeeling express uh, we're also available at cricket um, in in London and also sort of two of the uh, Atul Kochar's um, Indian restaurants as well. So we we've got that validation in year one from leading chefs, leading Indian restaurants that you know this is a really great tasting product. We get exactly why you're sort of pitching it. The pain point of you know beer and wine, and not quite necessarily going with Indian food, or certainly not being an intuitive choice for many people to have with Indian food, and therefore, yeah, forget why your spirit goes with 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 Indian food and tastes delicious as well. So, yeah, we've had some really good validation from that perspective. Year two, as I said, it's just about doubling down and trying to get the 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 product more widely available and more or more distributed. Helping us on that journey um, is Tenlox. Uh, so we're we're really happy that in year one we managed to secure um, a UK distributor and, and Tenlox has been great sort of you know first half of this year is just getting to understand the product it is a unique product it is a you know it is a more involved sell-in uh, to 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 people because you know we are trying to create a new category of, 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 of spirit it is a unique liquid and so I think the first half of the year is then trying to sort of get to grips with you know how do we how, how do we sell this into the on trade and I think now we're We've sort of got that playbook um, and, and sort of the second half of this year and going into next year is just, as I said, all about trying to increase um, uh, the, the our, our on-trade distribution. And as you say, you are trying to change people's perceptions of what kind of drink they might want to order when they have Indian food. What have you learned so far about what it takes to break a really ingrained habit like that and make consumers open to trying something new when they go to a restaurant i'm not gonna lie it's bloody difficult mm -hmm. and i think we never necessarily 
you know, struck upon that aha light bulb moment, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we're certainly trying different ways. And I think, you know, what's, what's really telling about beer and wine is it's available on the table. So you walk into an Indian restaurant and suddenly you can see that everyone's got a bottle of Cobra or a mm-hmm. bottle of Kingfisher and it just sits there on the table. So subliminally, subconsciously, or even just obviously, you're like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll have a beer because I can see everyone else. Same thing with wine. The, the bottle of wine sits on the table. So you can, you know, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll have a wine. I can see other people having it. Certainly not in this country. Um, you know, no one seems to order a 70 cl bottle of spirit and say, yeah, I'll have one of those. And that just sort of sits on the table. So, you know, we're not quite there in terms of having spirits um, visible on, 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 on tables, certainly in a sort of traditional 70 cl format. Could there be other ways of, of doing that? You know, could there be a more sort of convenience um, format uh, for restaurants, you know, either in a smaller, so smaller 200, 250 mil bottle or cans? And I think also, you know, getting on many listings is really important as well. You know, I think all new craft spirit brands, you know, they don't want to be that sort of dusty bottle on the back on the back bar. Um, you know, if you haven't if you haven't heard of that brand if you haven't seen the bottle before you know why would you potentially order it and therefore i think for us getting getting on menu listings getting on the right feature within the menu listing you know i think that's that's super super important and i think you know what one thing for example that's come about through a bit of work we did um within the indian restaurant group is we are a light refreshing um sort of alternative to you know full strength uh gin and tonic and so what what that particular restaurant group found is that their consumers you know, when they came in at lunchtime and they're like, oh, you know, got got, got a whole afternoon of, of meetings, you know, I don't want anything, you know, too, too, too alcoholic, you know, just something quite, quite light, refreshing, you know, those buzzwords sort of, we use that to like, right, if, you know, if you're a waiter, waitress in this restaurant and someone says they want a light, refreshing drink at lunchtime uh, with a bit of alcohol, but not too much, great. Give them salasa. It's half the you know, half the alcohol of gin. It's half the alcohol um, of a glass of wine when mixed with tonic. So we're we're consistently learning about what will help us to allow more and more people to 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 enjoy uh, to enjoy salasa and, and and sort of get it sort of get more liquid on lips. And we haven't come up with a perfect solution yet, uh, but we're also open to all suggestions. So if any of your great listeners have got any suggestions, then do do please get in touch. Have you done any work within quick commerce? Because obviously Indian food is a big kind of takeaway category as well. Are there opportunities there to um, get your get your spirit in front of people when they are ordering a takeaway? Yeah, so we've reached out to a couple of key commerce um, uh, companies in particular. You know, I really like their sort of city-specific strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can, you, you can also highlight... Cities where there are either um, you know, large, large groups of um, uh, you know, in, in Indian restaurants, uh, you know, the large Indian community as well. I think you know, you know, regardless of regardless of your ethnicity, you know, if you go to an Indian restaurant, for example, and you see lots of Indian people there, then instantly if you're walking by, you're like, oh, this must be good. And so we kind of like try, try to sort of triangulate, uh, you know, which, which which of those cities you know could be really useful for us to uh, for us to try and get in. Um, and so we're, we're definitely in discussions. Uh, with some e-commerce companies uh, this year. The other the other thing that's worked really well for us is we created a five uh, CL uh, mini, uh, oh, yeah. and we and we've given that as a as a great sampling tool to 
throw into um, uh, sort of, uh, delivery boxes as well. And that's been a really great, great way for us to, to get our product out and sampling and, you know, and, and people to receive a nice, you know, nice surprise when they open their, 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 their delivery takeaway uh, to receive a little, uh, little five CR bottle of Salaceron. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've got some information with that um, on, on, on the bottle. And, you know, hopefully once you try it, that will hopefully get people to potentially you know, go on our website and, and buy, uh, buy the full sort of 70 CR bottle. And what exactly is the liquid and how do you explain what it is to, to the consumer? Yeah, so the liquid is a 20% grain spirit that we blended with some fantastic um, ingredients. So we've got um, orange zest and lime as the base. So that, that, um, that acidity from, 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 the, um, from the orange zest and the lime really helps to sort of cut through the richness and the creaminess of, of, of Indian meals. You've got some lovely, refreshing mint and basil um, that, that helps to counteract the spice and the heat element and get with Indian food. There's a touch of lychee as well for a bit of sweetness that helps to just um, you cut through the acidity of tomato-based curries. Um, and then um, you know, that, that link between food and drink comes from coriander seeds and cardamom. Um, when we were creating the liquid, our liquid developer uh, who helped us you know, come up with the recipe, we said, what we want to avoid is recreating curry in a bottle. Because uh, <laughs> I think, you know, if you've got curry in the bottle and then you've got curry uh, on your plate, you know, there's, there's just too much curry for anyone. Uh, that, is, that is a thing. Uh, and, and so, you know, we felt that we wanted a mature, complex liquid that actually enhanced the food uh, that, that you're having uh, with it and, and not, taking, not taking away from it. And I think, you know, actually going through that process and with that brief actually landed us at that 20% alcohol level. I think that that was, you know, by, that wasn't by uh, default. I think that was by design. Um, oh, so you didn't, you didn't set out to create a lower alcohol spirit. It's just where you ended up. Yeah. I mean, I think we took a very different approach to pretty much anyone else, uh, you know, in, in, in the industry and in that, you know, we didn't create a great tasting liquid and think, right, what's the moment? What's the, uh, what's the, you know, who's the consumer that we're, we're going after with this product? We did it the other way around. We knew what the moment was. We knew that we needed to find a better alternative to beer and wine with Indian food. So if we started with a blank piece of paper, the world's our oyster, what would that look like? And I think, you know, we got, we got quite geeky to begin with. So we spoke to food scientists to understand the molecular structure of, of, of Indian food and the interaction, you know, on your tongue. There was there's clearly things that we, we've actually learn and, and taken from beer and wine as to why people have beer and wine with food and so there were some really interesting nuggets of information there that we took that we sort of applied to um to 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 spirits um and then you know then we worked with chefs and we said to chefs you know you create this great food we want to know from you, you know, what goes really well with your food um and i think you know that that combination and and, and balance between sweet sour and bitter we realized was super important and i think you know underpinning all of that was well, actually, alcohol has a flavor in itself as well. I like the, the taste of alcohol, but I don't like the effects of too many. But equally, I don't like having too much alcohol when I'm having food because, as I said, it overpowers uh, the, 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 the food. And so, you know, we, we, we looked at a range of ABVs from zero to, to, to 40 percent uh, and actually, you know, landed at 20 percent because at 20 percent, we felt that it still had that bite uh, that that you want when you want when you're having some alcohol. It didn't you know it didn't feel sort of you know too diluted or insipid. Um, and at twenty percent, it gave a re really nice 
bite and, and, and the flavor of alcohol there sort of complemented the food and, and didn't and didn't overpower it. Our suggested serve is to mix salasa with tonic. I think you know we're already asking consumers to you know change from beer and wine to spirits, and we didn't want to break too many other codes, as you know we that would just increase the, the the problem that we were trying to trying to overcome. And so we wanted it to keep a really familiar serve, and so you know we've optimised um, salasa to to be enjoyed with with over ice with, with with tonic or even soda water to give some sort of lovely like sort of carbonation. And when you mix salasa with uh with with tonic um you know we suggest one part salasa to three parts tonic you get a really delicious um light long refreshing drink at five percent abv so very similar uh to 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 a beer and um, you know half the alcohol off a glass of wine and so yeah we kind of stumbled upon 20 percent being the number i think it also helps that you know there is a growing trend towards you know lighter lower alcohol products and, and, and aperitifs and so you know we, we we are certainly riding that wave and 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 i think talking about it to consumers um you know as a as a lower alcohol alternative to gin because i think that's what sort of that's what makes them understand it you know if, if i lead with uh, it's a 20 percent grain spirit people are like well what's a grain spirit um and and, and what's in that uh, and you know people understand what a gin and a vodka is and actually sort of it kind of came about through consumer feedback of the moment we said it's a lighter lower alcohol alternative to uh, to gin they're like oh right i get it it's uh, and and so that's been a real unlocker for us uh, when trying to describe what the what the liquid is to consumers it's super interesting and i think brings us very nicely to the first couple of articles we were going to talk about which are all about this boom in no and low drinks that you've already talked about um and um the first article you picked is from the Spirits Business, and the headline says UK low and no value to hit £450 million. This is from a new report produced in partnership with Lucky Saint, which is a brand of alcohol free beer. And it's forecasting UK low and no sales will hit £450 million by 2024. Much of it driven by a growing number of UK consumers moderating their drinking. And there are a few nice stats in the article. One of them is that 55% of UK drinkers say they intend to cut their consumption of alcohol in 2022. And I suppose that point about moderation is key. It's not that everyone is giving up alcohol. It's not that everyone's becoming teetotal. Many people still really enjoy alcohol, but they want to be more mindful of how and when they consume it and how much they consume on certain occasions. Uh, people don't want the hangover the next day. Increasingly, you already talked about a scenario where people go for work lunches and they'd quite like to have a drink, but they also don't want to be, um, they still want to be able to work uh, for, the, for the remainder of the day as well. Michelle, you are clearly, you know, as we've just talked about, you are in this booming no and low segment. What was it about this article that caught your eye? And do these forecasts, that £450 million, does that resonate with your own expectations for that sector? Yeah, I certainly think that the the, the, the forecast is not is not surprising at all. I think, you know, the, the, the number, the sheer number of low and no brands that you're sort of seeing in the market and sort of day by day even you know coming onto the supermarket shelves it's just testament to the fact that you know that that low and no aisle in 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 retail is just growing bigger and bigger um so i'm certainly not surprised 
by that. I think what was what I took was interesting uh, and probably slightly biased here, given that you know Salasa is a twenty percent alcohol product. Was that you know people are looking to moderate their drinking rather than cutting out, and I think that's just the next evolution um, you know, of this category. I think you know you start off with full strength. The easiest thing to then go to is zero alcohol because you know either you're having alcohol or you're not in the, in the early stage of it and then explaining that and i think we're now at that phase where people are like well actually yeah you know why does everything have to be all or nothing i think it's a bit sort of bit covid like isn't it you know either you're, you're inside the house or outside the house but you know actually you know is there a sort of happy middle ground and i think that the certainly trying to build a brand in that mid-proof space you know the minute you start sort of saying mid-proof even people are like well what, what's that what, what what does that mean i mean I, I get full strength and i get no alcohol but what's mid-proof and what is that and, and etc so i and think what's you know, the that, point why would i buy into that yeah exactly you know someone said to me the other day why don't you just do why don't you put half the amount of gin in the glass uh <laughs> you know well, what, well, why do i need to create yours and i think and i think that's actually um i think that example is is, is relevant also due to the, you know the, the quality of low and no products that are coming out to the market it's it's not just about okay well you know if i want a gin and i want a non-alcoholic one that you know you, you just strip out the alcohol and you know does it taste similar it, it, there is just so much more than just having analog low out products right you know you, we, we are now getting some fantastic low and no products that have a completely unique taste uh, to to their own they may be you know they may be positioned in the market as being an alternative to x an alternative to y but actually in terms of their flavor profile their mouthfeel there's some incredible incredible products coming out in that in that space now and you know that category itself um is is, is becoming sort of more mature and people are people are wanting you know to have that adult experience you know you don't want to be that person in the group where you know we're sort of moving away from you know four people order a drink the fifth person saying oh i'm driving so i'll just have a coke you know mm -hmm. they want to feel part of they want to feel part of that occasion they want to have that instagrammable moment themselves i don't see many people instagramming a coke uh but you know you can get a nice delicious sort of non-alcoholic cocktail uh you know you can feel a like part of that experience as well and i think that's that's super important so you know the growing importance of the low and no space i i don't think is um surprising you know i think covid changed so many things and you know one of them being obviously our, our eating and, and, and drinking habits and people wanting to be healthier so no i'm not i'm not i'm not surprised uh, at all about you know the, the the size the size of the space and and, and i think you know who knows it, that that may be ex accelerating even more um i i think you know that the fact that you know it's gen z that are really sort of driving the growth in that in that in that category and then more and more younger people are are, are looking to moderate their alcohol i think that actually you know we might get you know we might see that forecast sort of happen even even earlier and what i think is really interesting about your positioning with salasa there is that yes you said you know being able to tell people that it's a lower alcohol alternative to gin or gin and tonic really helps um but when i looked at your website i was really struck by the fact that you are you're starting with that occasion and you're saying hey if you enjoy Indian food, this is a great spirit to go with it. And it's delicious. And it works really well with Indian food. And then at some point, there's also Oh, and by the way, it's a it's a lower ABV option. Um, do you find that there is a tendency in that sector to perhaps get a little bit too hung up on the ABV figure in a way that doesn't always resonate with the consumer? Yeah, it's a, re it's a really good point. I think I'm doing a lot of primary research, again, it People get sort of full strength, they get no, 
if you ask anyone, oh, do you, you know, you, you, you like Aperol. Uh, do you know what the ABV of Aperol is? Some people have said to me, what's ABV? Uh, and, then totally. some people, and, and then I'm getting some wild answers about what they think an Aperol um, uh, is from both a category perspective. Some people think Aperol is the category, not, you know, it's, it's an aperitif. Um, and then you ask about the alcohol content and, 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 you know, as I said, a lot of people don't know. And so I think, you know, from that sort of, a lot of that primary research that we did that touched upon, you know, lots of different things. I think, you know, we certainly felt that, you know, our point of differentiation is we are being food first in our approach. And ultimately, as I said, we're occasion led. We just wanted to create the best thing possible for, 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 for that moment. And so we, you know, we took a very conscious decision to, 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 to lead, you know, not with a, not with an ABV story, but sort of a, a, you know, a, a, an occasion, a, a food led story i do think it's important you know because then people sort of then start asking well, why should i have your product over others and i think then when you then highlight that yes not only is it the perfect pairing with indian food but you know there are other benefits from 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 the product as well and then explain that i think i think it's a really important you know secondary message um, um for us um but I, I completely agree with you that you know there is potentially a sort of a, a time and a place for that ABV story. And I think, you know, having, having that ABV story with um, restaurant owners, bartenders, um, people in the trade, I think is, is really, re is really relevant. They almost sort of, you know, they, they, they get the first bit, but they're like, you know, talk to me more about the product and give me the breakdown of the ingredients and the alcohol. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's their more their focus. And so uh, I, I certainly think there's a, there is a time and a place depending on who I'm talking to about that, about that ABV story. And I think, you know, People are, what I would say is that people are definitely becoming more and more um, sort of alert to, you know, the alcohol content of, 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 of products and, 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 and sort of and, and looking, looking at that. But I certainly think, you know, for us, it's a sort of secondary message. And you already mentioned a lot of this growth in No and Low is being driven by younger consumers. And that brings us to uh, the next article I was keen to talk to you about. This is one I picked and it's from The Guardian. The headline says, Gen Z for zero tolerance, why British youth are turning off bees. Um, this includes some stats from DrinkAware, the alcohol education charity, uh, which says those aged 16 to 24 are the group least likely to drink, and that 26% of that age group are now fully teetotal, which is an astonishing uh, stat. The article itself is a comment piece. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and looks at, you know, speculates a little bit as to why young people might uh, might have stopped drinking um, and so there are all sorts of possible reasons here is it affordability is it safety concerns is it wanting to be in control when you know images or videos of yourself being drunk potentially could end up on social media is it a rebellion against the habits and preferences of your parents generation um, are they getting their highs in different ways or do they just think drinking is a little bit naff um, as I said, some of the reasons put forward aren't entirely serious, but I was interested in your take and what you have found from your research into the category as to what is driving younger consumers to have such different drinking habits. I think one of the biggest drivers is cost. Um, you know, there's a, you know we, we're going through a sort of cost of living crisis at, at the moment, and, and it's unsurprising that one of the things at the top of the list that you know people are spending uh, less on, um, for example, is alcohol. And I think you know if you're now sort of going to going to university, you're already sort of saddled with I think you know nine thousand pounds of debt yeah. each year. Uh, you know I think I think you know for for students in particular, 
um, you know, the, the the cost the cost of alcohol is is, is certainly a big a big uh, a, a big issue, and I think you know one of one of the key one of the key drivers um, you know of of that of that generation looking to moderate their their alcohol consumption. I think second of all, you mentioned. I, I don't think it's t- tongue in cheek at all about the sort of the whole sort of Instagrammable moment, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, certainly when I was at university, we we you know, we didn't really take our phones out um, on 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 nights out more for fear of them sort of getting nicked or you know losing them uh, you know if we we've had one too many drinks. Um, whereas you know now you know everyone's got a phone, everyone's on social media, you know, going out. Unfortunately, you know make a bit of a fool out of yourself and suddenly appearing, you know, the next day on, on, you know, on someone's Instagram feed or TikTok feed. I think it's just a genuine live concern for a lot of people. And I asked my sort of younger members of my family and, and, and they certainly, they certainly think that as well. You know, they, they want to be, they want to be more, more in control mm. um, uh, of, of, you know, of, of their actions and, and, and other people's actions. And therefore, you know, I do think that's a, that's another really interesting uh, driver um, of that behavior as well. It was interesting what you were saying um, about affordability and the cost of alcohol. Where does that leave low and no products like yours? Do you think low and no needs to be cheaper than traditional alcohol to be able to appeal to that generation? I don't think it necessarily has to be cheaper, but I think there definitely needs to be further education of for example why low and no alcohol products may be the same price or not as cheap as some people may expect versus mm-hmm. the sort of full strength uh, counterparts and and I certainly see that with Salasa as well I think you know what people forget is alcohol is a, is a is, is a great solvent so it's a, you know it's a great carrier of taste and and, and flavor um, but it's also a preservative now, if you strip out alcohol from a non-alcoholic product, well, then you've still got to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to get the flavor into this product? And also, how am I going to make it shelf life stable? And I think, you know, when people understand or realize, you know, the, the work and effort that needs to go in into non-alcoholic production in order to achieve those things and still have a drink that tastes, you know, just as complex and, you know, just as flavorsome as, you know, full strength um, products as well, I think you know, if, if people understood that, then that might make them realise that oh, actually there is you know there is a lot of there is a lot of um, sort of inputs and a lot of sort of production expertise and capability that sort of goes into making this product that you know I can enjoy without the effects of alcohol and and you know it has a price attached to it and I so I, I see that with with Celasta as well at twenty percent ABV first question you know typically trade people ask me is oh you know you're half the duty so why are you not half the price. I was like, well, I haven't done half the amount of work, uh, or, or or put in you know half the amount of flavour into my product. You know, I'm very much you know, half the alcohol, twice the flavour, and therefore, you know, I I've tried to, as I said, get all those benefits from alcohol, but at a lower ABV, but it still cost me the same, if not more, to be able to create a still a delicious tasting product. And I think you know, there's a big education piece that still needs to be done, um, and you know, you're getting now a lot of a lot of um, a lot of mainstream brands entering the non-alc space for the non-alc version of their of their full strength um, product, and I think you know that is driving down prices uh, yeah. in, in 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 the in the non-alc category. And you know it's it's fine if you're a large producer and you're able to just knock out a, a, a zero 
0.0% version of your of your core SKU. Um, but you know, for small craft spirit brands, you know, like myself in the in the no and low space, you know, that that is putting price pressure on, on all of us. And as I said, the, the, the inputs are the inputs are high, not just because of the whole, um, you know, preservation flavor um, aspect of it, but, you know, supply chain issues are affecting um, all, all of us at the moment and driving our costs up. So, yeah, there's a really interesting dynamic going on in, 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 the, in the category, in the lower nose space at the moment, specifically around price. Now, for the final article you've picked, we're going to change tack a little bit. Uh, this is a piece from Whiskey Magazine, and the headline says, Opening the door, how is the whiskey world tackling diversity and inclusion? The article was published a while ago, but the issues and challenges it describes remain as current as ever. Uh, and although this particular article is about the whiskey world, Increasing diversity and inclusion is a challenge across the entire drink sector. And listeners will know I had Cashane from Cromanti Rum on the podcast a few weeks ago. He talked at length about confronting the colonial history of the rum industry and also challenging some of the stereotypes that exist around the category in terms of you know pirates and, and parties on the beach, etc. What the article focuses on is, is really looking at how big distillers and whiskey brands um are navigating this and it points out that they are increasingly talking about diversity and inclusion and they're putting in place strategy but there's still a long way to go both in terms of who runs these companies and brands who gets to make decisions who's being sent out to the trade to talk about various liquids and also to whom spirit spirits brands are marketed um, and it talks about a whole range of challenges that play into that. One of them is geography, particularly with whiskey distilling. Uh, many distilleries are based in more rural areas. So the people who get employed locally don't always represent the demographical makeup of the wider UK. But it also says, look, there are ways around that. And if brands and companies are truly committed to increasing diversity, um, they will rise to that challenge and they will, for example, look at different ways to advertise positions rather than just th throw their hands up and decide there's there's nothing they can do about it. Bishop, I know this is something that's really close to your heart. You're really keen to make sure that actually the spirits sector is more diverse, doesn't just have a, a more diverse range of liquids, but also speaks to a wider range of people and is driven and uh, run by a wider range of people. Talk to me about why you picked this article and what about it stood out to you? As you mentioned, it is a, it, it, it's a really important topic um, to me. I, I, I'm a very proud uh, British Indian. I, I, you know, I was, I was, I was born, in this, born in this country, you know, I, I, you know, I identify as, as British, but you know, my Indian heritage is, is a big part of me um, and you know the the aim with with the lasso was to bring this sort of level of authenticity to the the drink side of uh, you know Indian cuisine because I think you know if, if I look at it you know Indian cuisine is actually a really good example of um, you know, Indian food in this country is becoming more and more authentic you know so it's no longer chicken tikka masala or the hot spindaloo I can have people understand you know, the difference between North North Indian cuisine, South Indian cuisine, street food, um, and 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 I think you know this is wonderful sort of authentic growing sort of movement in 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 Indian food. For me, one of the aims 
I had for looking to set up my own um, uh, brand was, you know, I felt that when I went, you know, with my sort of digital ventures hat on, when I went to um, trade shows, talks, um, you know, when I was out in the market looking at looking at looking at brands uh, and in action, you know, I was shocked by the lack of diversity I saw in the jinx industry, and and specifically, you know, with my sort of investment hat on, I was shocked by the the, the lack of um, diversity in brand owners. Um, you know, how can we create brands that are inclusive, that are representative of the diverse nature of the consumers that drink them, if they're all owned by the same looking people? And mm -hmm. I just found that was a really really difficult thing to um, sort of comprehend and, and, and understand. And, and, and for me, you know, I want to sort of shout out about it. I, I want to try and increase the diversity of, um, of, of brand owners in, in, in this space. And, and I think what was really interesting about this article that I, that I, that I chose was, and, and, and actually I think it's worth mentioning, you, you, you said, oh, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's a little bit out of date. I think it was sort of written, written last year, but actually, that was more just testament to the to the to the lack of articles I could actually find totally. on people right you know people you know writing and speaking out about diversity in the in the drinks industry so you know that in itself was the fact that I had to sort of refer to one from last year which I thought did a really good job of highlighting the issue I think you know that that in itself um, says a lot and I think you know what's what's really what's what's really interesting about this one is you know again you know whiskey is traditionally seen to be a very sort of male dominated uh, um it, male dominated industry and 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 you know yes this touches on it but it also looks at it from another lens of you know yeah i know everyone you know so it's, it's, it's a very male dominated industry, but it's also a very sort of white male dominated uh, uh, um industry as, as well and that you know there, there, there's so many strands to sort of diversity and inclusion which i think this article in particular um sort of touches upon and what is your experience of raising some of your concerns about the lack of diversity in, in the spirits sector? When you talk to your peers, when you find yourself at, at these industry events or uh, when you speak to colleagues at Distill Ventures, for example, is there how much appetite is there to do something about this? I think there's, 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 there's a, lot of, a lot of appetite um, to do something about it. Um, you know, this year at sort of Distill Ventures, you know, we, We've launched a pre-accelerator program, uh, which uh, provides in, in, in investment and, and, and mentorship and, uh, and, and advice to founders from underrepresented um, backgrounds. And so, you know, we, we're trying to do our part in trying to widen the, 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 the access to capital. Because I think, you know, some of the things that I've, I've realized is, you know, uh, people from underrepresented group, you know, they, 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 they have, there's a specific lack of funding uh, for, for their ventures. There's a there's a there's a knowledge gap as well, and there's also a network gap. Uh, and I think if we, you know, if those of us in the industry who who are sort of lucky enough to work in the industry and, and and have those networks, those contacts, that knowledge, that access to capital, if we can help share that and and, and widen that pool, um, you know, that's just going to be to the benefit of, of of everyone involved, both you know, professionally who are working in the industry, but also consumers as well. As I said, if we get if we get brand owners 
uh, more reflective of the um, you know of the of the diverse nature of the people that treat treat those products. I feel like you know we're we're just going to have a you know there's going to just be a, a higher standard for everyone for everyone in the industry. And I think you know, on the whole, most people are very receptive to it. But you know, unfortunately, I think you know sometimes I do experience you know. Um, I, I do experience that, you know, perhaps things aren't as progressive as they should be or, 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 or need to be. And, you know, unfortunately, I've heard stories of, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, people for for uh, for one reason or the other, you know, having live conversations with buyers. And then, you know, perhaps the buyer then, you know, finds out their ethnicity or finds out their sex um, and then suddenly no response. Uh, and, and, you know, as as as, uh, as as bad as it is to 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 say, I mean, you, you, I'm still getting examples of that, even, even, you know, even today, which is, you know, we've, we've, we've got to just move away from that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm shocked and not shocked um, at what you're saying, but it's still as blatant um, as that in, in some cases. Um, what do you think, I mean, you're, you're clearly, you're spreading the word, you're trying to raise, you know, the, the profile of, of the opportunities that are available as well, as you say, particularly from a sort of accelerator um, program, it's not just about giving funding to people who pitch to you, it's actually doing something to make sure more people end up in a position where they even come to people like yourself and, and pitch. Um, what have you seen that actually makes a difference or, or, or creates real real progress? I think it's first understanding the, you know, understanding the different issues at hand. And I think, you know, trying personally, you know, I give the example of investment, you know, trying to understand, you know, what are the, um, what are the, the, the potential issues that a particular group of, 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 of individuals or, or, or people uh, are experiencing. So as I said, from a, from a sort of, Founder perspective, um, we 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 found that um, founders from underrepresented backgrounds, as I said, that they they suffer from a, a lack of funding. There's a, a lack of network, and, and and there is also a, a knowledge gap as well. So, okay, we've identified for this group of people. Here are some key sort of you know key things that um, you know are, are issues and problems for them. So, my, my my reaction to that is okay, right. Well, what can we do individually, collectively? You know. What can we get our industry colleagues to to be part of a wider movement to try and sort of bridge those gaps? Because you know that they are they are things that you know nothing that I've mentioned there is you know it's not particularly crazy or you know we couldn't find a solution to to try and to try and solve those things. And so very much looking to see you know how can we how can we uh, you know how can we uh, how how can we solve solve those problems? And I think you know, from my own first hand experience. I've seen the benefit of, as I said, removing my own investor bias, opening my eyes to understanding that, you know, there isn't one particular way to run a company. Uh, there wasn't one particular way to, to run a brand. And actually, you know, people from diverse backgrounds have diverse uh, thinking and therefore the more ideas uh, that are in the room, actually, you know, that's, that's better for everyone. And, you know, you're always surprised by, by what you don't know. And if you allow yourself to actually hear them and, and, and listen to other people um you know I, I think that's been a sort of tremendous one of the tremendous things that's come out of the the, the pre-accelerated work that we've been doing um at digital ventures 
Fantastic. Now we're pretty much out of time, but before I let you go, I wanted to bring it briefly back to Salasa and talk about what's next for you and the brand. You've already mentioned right at the start, you've got all sorts of summer activations that you're you're getting ready for at the moment. What does the second half of the year look like for you? What are the big projects you have in the pipeline? Yeah, so um, the, um, oh, look, I don't think it's a, a, a huge, huge uh, uh, sort of surprise that I'm, I'm, I'm stealing, but we are, uh, we are in the process of creating a, uh, an RTD um, that, that, we're, that we're launching uh, in August. So we're super excited to have um, uh, collaborated with a, a well-known um, soft drink uh, soft drink brand uh, mixer brand and, and we, we we've created a limited edition rtd that will be um that will be coming out in in august so you know definitely keep an eye out for that it's a great way we think it's a great sampling tool again to overcome some of those barriers of okay well how do you get someone to drink a new spirit and tell them about it it's like well actually you know what here it is perfect serve in a can just crack that open and try it uh so we're taking a direct approach and we're hoping that you know that will enable us to to do more sampling um and then yeah it's just about as i said doubling down uh in the second half of the year on on those uh national um sort of national listings um to, to, to get as much nationwide distribution as possible in addition to sort of building our brand awareness by attending festivals such as Pub in the Park. Uh, we're also going to be at the BBC Good Food Show um in in November and you know, the second half of the year, much like for you know, much of the spirits industry is is you know, it's it's big. There's a seasonality uh, we've already we we've seen with Salasa. You know, having Indian food in particular is uh, sort of wintry, warming sort of um, comfort food. You know, last week when it was 42 degrees, I, I don't think anyone was having an Indian curry <laughs> on a on the, on that Monday or Tuesday night, right? So, but, but you know, we're we're fortunate enough. We have a versatile enough liquid that could be a delicious sort of light refreshing aperitif in the summer months and then it can be more food focused in the in 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 the sort of autumn and and winter and and for us the second half of the year not just with christmas but also with diwali mm. um yeah that's the main festival uh for for hindus and and and, and indians um uh, in in that happens in october so you know the the next few the next few months are you know is our sort of crucial sort of six months of the year uh, and we're, we're we're really looking forward to hopefully sort of spreading the, the, the news about Salasa and getting as many people as possible in the next six months to try it. Michelle, if people want to connect with you and they want to find out more about what you do and what Salasa is all about, what's the best way to get in touch? Sure. Um, to feel free to uh, drop me an email. Uh, my email is vishal at salasadrinks.com. Um, I am always more than happy uh, to, to have a chat and a conversation um to 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 anyone you know from the trade from consumer um i i love i love to chat about you know what i do um you know both from sort of day job perspective salasa perspective you know i'm really passionate about um sort of food and drink and so yeah would welcome a conversation with anyone super Vishal, thank you so much for coming on the show thanks a lot for having me thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the conversation and found it useful If you did, please consider giving The Picklist a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening and leave a review. It tells me you're enjoying the show and would like it to continue, and it helps me reach more listeners. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn at juliaglotz.com and on thepicklist.co.uk. And if you'd like more thought-provoking reads for your personal reading list, please subscribe to The Trim, my free weekly newsletter 
at juliaglotz.com forward slash newsletter. See you next time.